Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic, from current superstars like LeBron James to the all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. Seattle Shirt Company has it all. And right now, for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations with experts in the field of sports. Today's is an expert on college basketball, maybe the preeminent voice once you get to March Madness because of his experience as a player and as a broadcaster. I got to meet this expert years ago at Coach Fuse Cancer Benefit. We played around a golf together. Hopefully at some point we'll get back out on that course again at some point. None other than Coach Clark Kellogg. Clark, how goes life in Columbus, Ohio for you? I'm doing great, Dan, and you made me smile when you talked about us meeting for the first time on the golf course because um, during this coronavirus pandemic, it's one of the few activities that people can enjoy socially and outside. And I've played more golf than I've played in the last 15 years, this particular golf season in Central Ohio, man. I've racked up the rounds partly because of, of COVID, but also my wife started playing about a year and a half ago and she's absolutely hooked and loves it. And then our youngest son, Nick, um, is in, in, in the game as well. He likes to play. So I've had a full summer of golf, and I would love to get back out there with you at some point down the road. Absolutely. There, were, there are lots of good charity events in the Pacific Northwest and the Spokane area that um, if it works with your schedule, I know they'd love to have you out here. So let's keep our fingers crossed that maybe in the yep. next year or two, uh, schedules line up and we can get a rematch of some sort. <laughs> that would be cool. If you've been playing a lot of golf this spring and summer, what's the handicap now before we jump you know, into the real importance? I had a decent, I had a decent summer and fall in golf. My index was right at about 11-2, 11-3 back in May, and it got down to 7-5, and I'm right now right at that 7-8 area, 8-1. So I was happy with that in terms of improvement. I'm going to go into the lab during the winter as I'm working around college basketball and hopefully add a little distance, continue to work on my body and then try to shave that thing down another three or four um, points come um, 
summer of um, 21. You know, that's one reason I love uh, the sport of golf is the fact that whether you're a youngster, like you mentioned your son or my sons who are 14 and eight, or somebody our age, you can always look to get better. And it's a game, it's a sport for life. And it's a chance to really kind of spend some time in the great outdoors that that God has created and a chance to really kind of uh, uh, have good conversations with people, which is one reason I like, I really like the game of golf. Getting into other topics, you grew up in the state of Ohio. You were a McDonald's All-American, I believe, in the Cleveland area. Yeah. When I looked at some of your background, you scored 51 points in a state title game. SB Live Sports were a company that's really focused on high school sports. When I saw that stat, it jumped (laughs) out at me. How do you score 51 points in a state title game when I'm sure the other team is geared to stopping you? Well, you shoot it just about every time you get it, Dan. And that's pretty much what I did out of necessity more than anything. We had a really good team. That was the first time my high school, Cleveland St. Joe's, it's called Villa Angela St. Joe's now, it was all boys, an all boys Catholic school when I was there in the mid-70s. I graduated in 79. But that was the first time we had gotten to the state finals as a basketball team in the school's history. And it was exciting. We played at Ohio State where I ended up going to college, and we ended up losing that game. But that record still stands. I mean, it's only one chance a year that somebody gets a chance to break it because it's a state championship game final record. But it was out of necessity. We were down a bunch early. Actually, I think we were down 25 at half. Just didn't play well. And then I just rebounding it, casting it, rebounding it, casting it, and ultimately uh, ended up with 51. And we we just ran. We are expected within, I think, nine with about two minutes to go and uh, just ran out of clock. I think we would have made a come. We may have gotten all the way back if we would have had maybe three minutes instead of two. But um, good memories. My high school since then, my alma mater's won multiple state championships, which I'm really proud of. But um, yeah, really good high school memory for me. I wish we could have gotten that gold, but sometimes you. Um, you can still be a champion even if you don't have championship trophies and championship rings. And I've always tried to play like a champion and conduct my life like a champion in the, in the ways that, that are important, how you treat people, um, how you live out your faith, um, how you interact with your spouse and your children, all of that stuff. So didn't get the goal, but I still feel like, um, the effort was a championship effort and, um, I try to live my life in that manner. I look back at my high school memories, probably very similar to how you just described them. Um, My senior year, we lost in the state semifinals, which was at the Kingdom in Seattle, which is now Mm -hmm. demolished. There was about 12,000 people at the game. Mm -hmm. Our team did not stop scoring in the fourth quarter. We just simply had an opponent that hit five threes uh, in the fourth quarter. And you might remember his dad downtown Freddie Brown, who played for the Sonics. Oh, was his yeah, son, Brian Brown, who ended up becoming a teammate of mine in college at the University of Washington. Yeah, wow, isn't that something? Small world. Yeah, I remember watching that Seattle Supersonics team with Freddie Brown and Dennis Johnson and Jack Sigma when they won it all. I think it was 79, which would have been my senior year in high school. And I was pulling hard for them all the way in Cleveland, Ohio, because of how they played and how much fun they were to watch. Every young player I imagine uh, who goes on to have success 
such as yourself um, has to have a mentor, a role model, a guiding figure in their life, who would that have been for you as you were growing up and becoming to be a good basketball player who, had have a, who would go on to have a chance to play at a higher level? Well, there were multiple folks. It started with my dad. Um, my dad was a Cleveland police officer, had been a really good three-sport athlete in high school, had a cup of coffee in college, but because he had a young, growing family, ended up becoming a policeman when I was probably four or five years old and ended up using that as a way to take care of us, but really was a good athlete, exposed me and my younger brother and sisters to the game. But he was the first one because as I got into basketball, uh, we talked about some of the great players he had played against and seen, and then we'd watch games together. And as I really started to take an interest in the game, he was the one that initially um, really encouraged me to be a ball handler. Um, he was 6'4 and grew up in the 50s. And at that time, if you were 6'4 or taller, you typically got thrown into the paint, didn't step outside. And so he really impressed upon me the um, need to handle the ball. And it was really one of my distinguishing features as a player back in the late 70s at my height, 6'8". Uh, there weren't a lot of guys who could put it on the floor like I could then. Now it's 13 to a dozen, and the guys are 7'1", putting it down rack to rack. But early, back in the late 70s, I was kind of a unique bird with my size, unique player with my size and strength and rebounding and ball handling ability. And I attribute that to my dad. I had a really good elementary school teacher, one of the few, actually may have been the only African-American teacher I had throughout um, high school, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Was a good athlete and really was a no-nonsense great teacher. Um, just talked to him the other day for the first time in several years just to call him and tell him how much I appreciated what he poured into me as a young guy. Uh, my high school coach was really good in helping me grow. Uh, then I had a mentor who wasn't even tied to sports necessarily. Um, a successful insurance agent who I'm still close friends with. I met him when I was 15, um, 16 years old, worked in his insurance agency during the summers of my two years in high school and my two years, um, three years in college. Um, he's, shoot, Ira's 80 now, but he and I have had a friendship since I was 16 years old. And he showed me a lot about business up close and personal what that looks like what that can be so i've had some unbelievable folks my pastors at the various churches um that we've been part of um, throughout my adult life um, have been tremendous mentors for me too um, so i've had a number of really good men um, come alongside me and encourage me in my faith walk as a christ follower um, certainly in my journey as a player and even in my work as a, as a broadcaster, I've had some of my partners be really um, helpful in helping me grow and, and try to be excellent in my work on the air. I want to go back later and talk about your NBA experience and overcoming injuries, but some of the things you just touched on there I, I think are so important and vital to um, sharing a little bit more about your story or your, your, your personality. When I have seen or heard or watched you on TV talk about different coaches or whether I read a forward in a book from maybe on a coach wooden uh, topic, you always talk about impacting of others and being selfless. Mm -hmm. How do you view your role as a figurehead for college basketball 
Um, how do you view that being able to get your message out? Well, I think, first of all, it's a privilege. It's a wonderful privilege to still be connected to the game that has given me more than I can ever give it back. I mean, I dreamed of playing basketball in college and hopefully being able to be a pro. Um, had that dream realized when I was 21. Places I've seen, the education I've gotten in and through basketball, the um, lifestyle it's afforded me, I could go on and on. Um, so it's a privilege, first and foremost, to have a role in bringing the game to those who watch it or listen to it, uh, bringing them inside um, the locker room or to the court by virtue of my past experiences and my knowledge of the game. I count it a, a great privilege. And with all privileges, our responsibility. So the responsibility part for me is to serve the game and to serve the viewer. Um, and by serving the game, I mean serving the coaches, the players, the officials, um, and certainly the viewer is the fan. Um, how do I serve them and help them enjoy the game without getting in the way of it? That's a big thing for me. I've played and was a really good player when I did play. Um, so I never want to be the show because the game is the show. I want to be a good teammate. I want to serve the game, be an ambassador for it. So I count it, Dan, as a privilege, or unbelievable privilege, blessing, and responsibility. And I try to approach it um, that way in every way, how I prepare in my role as a broadcaster, how I work with all of the folks that are part of our team, how I um, try to represent the game. Whenever I have that opportunity, I'm mindful of the um, of the responsibility and the privilege that uh, I've been afforded in my role uh, throughout the game. So, so many people view the broadcaster role as you get just get to talk about basketball. You have an opinion here or there they don't understand the preparation that it truly takes. You know, I take last basketball season for myself. I probably called about 45, 50 games on television and radio. Um, but you have to immerse yourself in the sport, and that's reading constantly, nonstop. How much yeah. prep goes in for you um, on a singular broadcast? Say you have a Saturday CBS game. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the feature game of the week. How much prep typically goes in for you? Yeah, you know, I stopped counting, but I know people are curious about that. So I typically do whatever is required to feel ready. And that usually averages about, for a particular individual game, is probably um, six to ten hours when you factor in trying to watch at least two or three games, the two or three most recent games of the two teams you're covering. And it's nice when one of those games might be a prior meeting between those two teams, which can happen in conference play. But typically I try to watch the last three games of each team. If they played each other during that season, I'll make sure that's one of the games that I watch. And then I'll read everything from what our research department at CBS provides. And then also what, might be available from the beat writers that cover that team. Typically, we'll get a chance to spend time at a practice the day before, maybe shoot around the day of and visit with the coach for 15, 20, 25 minutes, maybe have a chance to converse with the player. But then I'm also always preparing role in the studio. 
So I'm reading about the full landscape of college basketball, even when I do have a game to do for CBS on a weekend. And so I'm spending, trying to spend two to three hours a day right now catching up on rosters, transfers, transition, injuries, that kind of thing. I might make some phone calls and talk to some coaches. And then ultimately, as we get into the heart of the season, Dan, I'm, you know, four, five, six hours a day between, you know, trying to watch games from some teams, you know, watching teams that are in non-power conferences. Um, there's wonderful technology available to all of us in the broadcasting space where you can pretty much watch any game that's been televised. And you can do that from your laptop or on your phone. So I try to watch a couple of games a day once they start being inventoried and uploaded so I can have a handle on on Richmond and Gardner-Webb and East Tennessee State. So I'm always doing that. But for an individual game, I would say it's probably um, six to ten hours because I've developed a pretty good template in how I prepare and I've grown in understanding what's really important to have on my note sheet and what's not. I mean, you can overwhelm yourself with information if you're not careful. So six to ten hours is probably about average if, for, for an individual game for me. Yeah, I completely agree. You can overwhelm yourself with information if you try to read too much or if you yeah, exactly. ask too many questions of the coaches. A lot of times yeah. you've been around the game enough, you yeah. have a couple nuggets that you're looking for during the course of a game that, that might spark an interesting comment or then the play-by-play -play guy asks you a question that can really kind of uh, lead you into yeah. describing something for the viewer. Now, you have one of what I think is – the most cool opportunities in all of sports. And that's to be a part of the selection Sunday show where the brackets released, you see the matchups, you know, where everybody's going, you get to see reactions from those universities in their different old booster club rooms. Tell me the truth here. How, how much time before it is presented on the graphics, do you see that bracket yourself? It varies, Dan. And first, let me say how much I missed that this season. Um, I think we all did, man. I didn't realize how much I missed it. Not just the excitement around Selection Sunday and all of those teams that may be making their first trip to the tournament or have a team that's special that could maybe win it all. I mean, there's so many different storylines, which is what makes it so exciting. And it begins with the Selection of the field and the presentation of that on Selection Sunday. And it's a really energizing and galvanizing time for not just the players and coaches and their fan bases, but for us as broadcasters, those of us at CBS and Turner. I mean, there's an extra boost of energy and adrenaline around that. And that didn't happen. And when it went away, it was, um, it was really, um, it was really quite, unsettling and emotional. I mean, there was a period of mourning that I went through that surprised me because I didn't get to see the people that I normally see at Studio 43, um, obviously the games and all of that. So um, that was hard. That was tough. And um, I'm hopeful we'll be able to revisit Selection Sunday going forward. But as far as the brackets being given to us, it varies. And I've been there now since 97 at CBS as part of the NCAA tournament. And five of those years, I was out doing the games with Jim Nance and Steve Kerr and Tracy Wolfson. 
Um, so most of my time has been spent in that studio and the um, actual time range has been as much as 40 minutes before we go on the air and as tight as 10 minutes, depending on the year. And what to, although I think in recent years, it's really been more in that 30 minute window in part because the NCA has gotten so much better at evaluating the teams and knowing where people are going to go and bracketing the field. But there were times early on where it would be maybe 10 minutes before right up to the wire. And at that point, all of your preparation prior to selection Sunday is what you rely on. Because I, my goal is to have seen every team that's going to be in the field of 68, either in person or on video, well before Selection Sunday. So that means I watch multiple teams from the one-bid leagues so I can at least know. And sometimes you can't see everybody because there's a surprise. But by and large, I know a nugget or two about every team that's going to be on that bracket board, which means I have to know probably 80 to 85 teams fairly well. And that way I'm covering my bases for the 68 that get, un get unveiled um, on selection. So, I mean, I, the last several years I've gone, I, I don't look at the bracket. Everybody else gets them, but I won't look at mine until we go on the air. Really? I just, yeah, yeah. I just, I just it's, it's too much. I mean, I've only got so much room on my hard drive. Yeah. I've already done tons of preparation. So I'm anxious to just see how they show up. We have enough time with the way we reveal the bracket to where I can pick a team or a matchup as I'm seeing it without trying to figure out, you know, which region is the hardest and all of that. I just kind of let it flow. And people look at me like I'm a unicorn or I'm an alien when I tell them that <laughs> some writers, but it works for me. You know, that's and, so uh, interesting. So I don't, yeah. So I don't look at it. I just, I, they give it to me. I just turn it over, put it in. And I just wait until we start the show. I'm sure you know that somebody uh, on the dark web would pay you a handsome fee to just take a quick <laughs> snapshot and send it to them beforehand, right? Can't do it, man. My integrity won't let me. So, no, no, I just shut it down and I let the – and then my, my reactions can be a little more spontaneous and um, authentic because I haven't really seen it, you know, as we um, go on the air. So, in knowing now then that you haven't seen the bracket, do you still get butterflies right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Light oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still do. I mean, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, no matter how many times you've ridden a roller coaster, each time you get on it, there's still an element of excitement and anticipation and butterflies. And it's the same with the um, revelation of the tournament field. Yep, it's exactly the same. And so, um, so, yeah, it works out that way. But, yeah, I still get excited. Yeah, I still get excited about it. That's tremendous. I love the analogy of just like a roller coaster. It, you know it's coming. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just don't know, is it this turn? Is it that turn? Which yeah. That's, get you on that's right. This particular yeah. ride. I want to go back to your playing career now. You're someone who eighth pick in the NBA draft, and you had knee injuries during the course of your career. And without being too negative or judgmental, because all athletes go through – injuries that they have to work through some people might have said well you know what he didn't quite reach his potential but that's always in the eye of the beholder at least that's how I look at it 
mm -hmm. I would think that you probably look at it similar because of your, your, your big picture outlook of life. When you look back at what allowed you to get through those knee injuries, what, what was the driving force behind that? Well, you know, I had a promising pro career ascending north when I started to have my knee trouble. And it was simply the wearing away of cartilage in my left knee. Um, we all do that over time. Sometimes it's more accelerated in certain people than others, but our cartilage typically starts to wear out and basketball accelerated mine and just some of the biomechanics of my body enhanced that acceleration as well. So um, after my second year in the league, I had the first of what ended up being three knee operations, all arthroscopic, all to try to repair the cartilage that was fraying away. And ultimately, my knee just couldn't withstand the rigors of NBA basketball. Um, played the equivalent, was on the books for five years, but I played the equivalent of just a little over three in terms of number of games. And so I was young. I was 26 when I had to pack it in. I got drafted when I was 21 uh, back in 1982. And as I was going through that, um, I went to a private Catholic high school growing up, Dan, but we weren't necessarily um, religious folks. We were good moral folks. My mom and dad gave us a loving, um, consistent home. Uh, there was some God consciousness there, but we didn't go to church a ton. We would go on occasion. Um, so familiarity with um, God was part of uh, our existence, but a relationship with God wasn't something that I had a real concept of and really just tried to be a good guy, tried to make my parents proud, tried to set a good example for my younger siblings, uh, tried to treat people the right way. Um, but during my period of, of knee surgeries and uh, being pulled away from the airports, hotels and arenas that are NBA basketball, um, I was confronted by a chaplain in Indianapolis who wanted to share the word of God with anybody who'd be interested prior to games back in the uh, early 80s in a chapel service. Uh, my wife had grown up in a Christian home. She was aware of perhaps something being missing in our lives. We were married at the time and uh, had gotten married in a Christian church and had gone through Christian counseling. And um, it sounded good, but I felt like I was okay. I was a decent guy, wasn't out creating too much chaos. But there was something in my spirit as I was dealing with my injury and as my wife was continuing to to kind of nudge me and probe me about um, things spiritual um, that led me to at least explore um, God's word, the Bible this guy was carrying around. And over a period of months from the middle of, uh, from spring of 86 until November of 86, I spent some time with this um, local minister just having him share the word of God with me. And it was the word of God that convicted me over time of my separation from God because of sin and my greater purpose in life to reflect, resemble, and represent him in the earth is my primary purpose. But sin keeps me from being able to do that. And God made a way for that gap to be bridged, that separation to be eliminated through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly as God in the flesh, died for man's sinful nature, and through Believing in your heart that Jesus is God's son, died for my sin and was raised to life for my life, having faith in that in my heart and confessing that with my mouth would give me the opportunity to be in right standing with God, to be in the relationship I was created for. So November of 86, I gave my heart and life to Christ, bowed my heart, 
and my head and my life to Christ, accepting Jesus as my Savior and Lord as the way to forgiveness of sin and, and right standing with God. And that was November of 86. Um, I announced my retirement after a third knee operation in December of 86 in August of 87. So I had started to grow in my new relationship and new life in Christ in November of 86. So for a period of about eight or nine months, I had been reading the word, had been uh, sitting under good teaching, had connected to a um, Bible teaching, believing church, and the word of God began to anchor me and my new identity. I knew I had played basketball. I would never get away from having been a former pro uh, and basketball being what it was in my life. But the throne of my life now uh, belonged to Christ. And so as I went through the difficulty of trying to rehab those last several months after that December surgery of eight, that December of 86 surgery, um, I was growing in my faith, recognizing that God's purposes for me uh, were greater than where I was currently, as painful as it was to ultimately have to give up playing at 26 years old when I had a promising career in front of me. But uh, I said it then and I said, I've said it often since that I didn't know exactly what my future held, but I, I did know who held my future. And it was God through Christ. And that was the anchor and that was the um, foundation that uh, carried me through. And then the support and love of my wife, support and encouragement of family and friends, um, former teammates and the like. But it was really uh, recognizing my identity was tied to, to who Christ is and who God says I am according to his word. And I was seeking to walk and live in that and would embrace whatever was next from that, that worldview. So it was um, that relationship with Christ. And I look back at it now, Dan, and I tell you what, um, as much as I miss the chance to have grown as a basketball player and to maybe reach the level of an all-star to have a chance to compete in the playoffs, which never happened for me. Um, I wouldn't change it because it led to me coming to life in Christ. And, and I've, I, you know, I've heard it said that everything without Christ equals zero and zero with Christ equals everything. And I, I truly um, felt that way and feel that way. You mentioned you found a new identity with yourself yeah. and God. Most athletes, when they're done playing, myself included, I've talked to a number of guys about this, you're searching for a new identity of who you are because you're no longer playing. Some guys get into business. Some guys get into coaching. Some guys go mm -hmm. broadcasting. Um, at what point did you feel comfortable in your role as a broadcaster? When did, was that transition almost seamless for you? Or how did you know that that was the direction that you were going to take, knowing that you had your new identity as Clark Kellogg, the person, the believer, yeah. into the next yeah. transition of your life? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I mentioned a couple of my mentors. And even as I was journeying successfully in playing basketball, I always felt there was going to be an end to that part of my life. And I was thinking about being more than just a player. I wanted... I had aspirations to be a successful entrepreneur because I had been exposed to the insurance business. I felt that was something I could possibly do. I'd always been intrigued by the financial markets, financial planning as a way to help others, but also to scratch an itch of interest. 
have always been fascinated by business and investing and the like. And so I had always had a sense of basketball being an essential and central part of my life, but not being the totality of it. So I started, my parents helped me with that, my mentors. Um, but then when I came to Christ, obviously everything changed in terms of my worldview. I was fortunate in that I got a chance to stay in an area that had been what I knew best as I transitioned, and that was basketball. I mean, that was clearly what I knew best. I explored going into business. I had opportunities to consider um, being a financial planner with um, some friends in business, talk to my mentor about the insurance business, but basketball was what I knew best. And I've always been a decent communicator. So when the Pacers um, explored ways that I could stay connected to them, uh, because I had built up some pretty good equity in being in the community, um, it just seemed like it was a good opportunity to see if I could do the broadcasting because it was a, an area of comfort, um, basketball and communication. And so I had a really fortunate and smooth transition. Um, I attribute that to a lot of people, but I also give God credit for um, helping me to see my aptitude for, um, for talking about the game and how that might parlay into um, a career for me. Well, I'm sure had you chosen another path, you, you would have found success in it. But I personally want to commend you and thank you for choosing the path that you chose because, you know, every time I get a chance to watch you doing the studio stuff or I've watched you call games, um, you know, I enjoy it. I learn something. Oh, I appreciate that, man. And as a broadcaster, that. I find that is something that, that I, I keep trying to learn. And I'll try to yeah. the deliveries that you might make or somebody else or, or insight and in how they describe how to break down a zone or, or whatever the situation may be. And yeah. so I found that when I watch you, I, I learn a lot. And so I think you oh, that's pretty choice, sure. at least in my take. No, uh, no, no, no. And um, obviously I'm still going at it, man, well into my third decade. So something's worked out and I've enjoyed you too, your growth and how you handle it has been fun to watch, man. So keep on keeping on. I hope you're enjoying it because it certainly seems like you are. No, I enjoy it without a doubt. And, and I yeah. had one year as a, as a player development coach with the Blazers when I was done uh, playing myself. And I, I love coaching the game. I love teaching the game. But maybe not necessarily to the pro or the college level. I like it with the, the, the youth. Yeah, it's, kids, yeah. My, my yeah. boys, friends. Um, and I also like the flexibility that broadcasting allows. Because we talked off. Oh, man. You, you, as a coach, you're on the schedule that – the Big Ten gives you or the Pac-12, whatever it may be, the NBA, you're going to miss family activities. And for the most part with broadcasting, you can pick and choose and miss as little yeah. as possible. Wanted to ask you, since you talk to college coaches at length throughout the year, and then you get a chance to be around them during the summers, I'm sure at different events, mm -hmm. is there one or two college coaches that you look at and you think that they have the total package? Like if, if my son were good enough to play for that person, I want them around that coach because the way they look at the game, the way they teach the game, but also the way that they interact with their players in a positive way. Yeah. What would those coaches be? Oh, man, there's so many of them, Dan, as you well know. I mean, heck, you get the chance to do what I do. So when you get a chance to know some of these coaches and watch them work, I mean, there's so many, so many good ones that um, I'd be happy to have 
um, one of my kids play for if they were in that position. Um, I'm a little biased. I've obviously, I'm, I'm an Ohio State alum, but um, I've known Chris Holtman, who's the head coach here, since he recruited our son Nick when Chris was an assistant at Ohio University. Um, Nick never played for Chris because he took the Gardner-Webb job the summer that Nick was going to enroll, which was back in 2010. But we really enjoyed getting to know Chris as an assistant because of how he was as a person. And then watching him coach and how he teaches from a building block standpoint. He builds on each block and progressively helps his players develop. And I love his disposition. Um, he's firm. He's fair. Um, but he's uh, he's enjoyable to be around. So he'd be one of my favorites. Tom Izzo is really good. I mean, he's so he's such a caring guy, and he's demanding and hard and tough. But you see how much he cares. He teaches the game really well, manages the game extremely well, um, gets at his players, but doesn't belittle them. Um, so there, I mean, those two guys. And I spent some time around Tom off the court too, a little bit more. Um, so I've gotten to know him uh, reasonably well. And he's been on the air with us in the past at Final Fours and stuff when his team hasn't been there. So, But he's just, he's just really, really good. I love the way Roy Williams' teams play and um, how he interacts with his players. I mean, he gives them a lot of latitude uh, and teaches the game well. Uh, I Leonard Hamilton is so underrated at Florida State. And he recruited me when he was an assistant at Kentucky. So I got to know him and then watching him, the success he's had and the environment he creates, the family environment, the way he develops his young men is really pretty, um, pretty powerful. But, you know, you always run into the problem of um, leaving some guys out when you name names, but those are a few and there are others that I, I, I can name, but those are, those are some that come to mind um, um, fairly quickly in terms of um, coaches that um, I have a lot of admiration and respect for how they do things. Anthony Grant would be another at Dayton. Um, and the guy in Spokane, Mark Few. I mean, man, he's um, so good. And, he's, and, and, and you like the way the players respond to these coaches. I mean, you can see, even with Izzo, and they can be nose-to-nose, -nose, confrontational, that's their style, but you can see and feel the care. And the, and the mutual respect and appreciation. And I think most coaches engender that. Um, some do it better than others, but um, those guys um, all come to mind um, as, as folks that I really enjoy watching them work and, and how they do their work. Some tremendous names that you mentioned there. A couple guys that I've covered during games, Anthony Grant, Chris Holtman, I've yeah. found the same about both those guys. Just, just talking basketball uh, with them, you could tell that there was yeah. some outside of basketball as well that was kind of driving them uh, yeah. in how they lead their teams. Um, last question, Coach. Um, I call everybody Coach Clark. So yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, you're, you're a coach to many, I'll put it that way. During the coronavirus kind of shutdown, and I posed this question to a lot of other people that have joined uh, this ISO podcast. Coaches have had to – kind of reconfigure their philosophy and work on new things. Uh, businessmen have had to kind of reconfigure things and work on different things. You've had some time to kind of take a step back and look at where you want to improve as a broadcaster or maybe, you know, as an influencer when you go speak at events. 
Is there one area that you've kind of really tried to improve upon as a broadcaster or a speaker in those type of events since this coronavirus right. pandemic started? Such, such a great question, man. And I've been wrestling in a couple of areas um, personally. One is to uh, be more well-read, be more – I'm, I'm an avid reader, so digesting um, books that will help me in the context of um, social and racial injustice, um, how to really be who God wants me to be, where he's placed me, how to leverage influence and platform. And that gets back to me, for me, to um, really uh, reflecting on and re reconciling who am I? Who, who, who does God have me to be now? And how do I lend my voice, my position to issues that um, resonate with me and are personal? You know, racial injustice, social injustice, inequality, those are things that I feel strongly about and how can I help effectuate change in those areas? Um, as a broadcaster, um, this is a unique year. I mean, my last game was March 8th. I don't know when your last one was, but for all of us that cover college hoops, uh, we didn't have the typical tournament run that gives us a chance to see another dozen, another 25, 30 games and what have you. So digging back into film study is an essential part of off-season preparation. Um, that's usually not the case for me. I'm going to go back and watch teams that I remember but don't fully remember and look at so film. That's one area. And then really, um, as a broadcaster, um, trying to interject more of my opinions into commentary appropriately um, is something that I endeavor to, to be better at. Um, the studio gives you plenty of room to do that. Game coverage, you have less. But I want to be ready to inject um, some of my thinking around the game, around the culture of the game, um, in a constructive way to maybe um, create dialogue or at least cause people to think, whether it's um, minority coaching hires, whether it's um, where we're going with name, image, and likeness, uh, this, 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 uh, whether it's valuing the education component of scholarship athletes, um, but thinking about trying to bring some some of my feelings and thoughts to, to some of those issues is something I'd like to, that I'm focusing on trying to be better at. Lots of great thoughts, lots of great nuggets, Clark. I appreciate you joining. Um, college basketball season is going to kick off November 25th. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I can tell that you're looking forward to it. Yeah. I can't wait to uh, to hear you calling games as well as talking about the game in studio. So for SB Live Sports, Clark, I really appreciate you joining the ISO podcast, and I wish you and your family continued health and uh, looking forward to the college basketball season getting going. Yeah, likewise, Dan. Great to be with you, and maybe we can do it again during the season depending on your schedule. Best to you and your um, household, man, and um, great to visit with you and look forward to – listening to you as well. I've enjoyed seeing you handle yourself behind the microphone with such, um, with such um, professionalism and excellence, man. It's really good. So keep up, the, keep up the great work. Awesome. I appreciate it. I would love to have you back once we get into the meat of the college. Basketball. Let's count on it then, man. You, you, you're in charge of reaching out and letting me know what, what the options are, and, and I'll make myself available. Perfect. We'll do it again. Thanks again. Okay. Take All right, man. Yeah, you too. Take care, bud.
The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.